Well, good evening. Glad you're here. Thank you for being present here in the auditorium. Those of you in the parking lot, we are so glad that you are here with us as well. And those of you who are listening on our website, godsredeemed.org, thank you for streaming us and tuning in to our study. We have a lot of people gone, a lot of people traveling, and we have a number of people who are traveling here. We have a rule in Northfield Boulevard that if you travel here more than once or twice, you must move here and remain here. You're not allowed to leave anymore uh, because we love having visitors, love having people come by, family and friends, and those of you who are traveling, trying to get from one place to another during this busy time of year. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 43. We are going to study four chapters tonight as we continue a rather rapid progression through the study of Genesis, Lord willing, next Sunday, uh, Wednesday evening, which will be the 30th of December, will be the final class. We'll study the final four chapters, make some closing comments, and then get ready for a study of the book of Exodus, which follows Genesis, both in the Bible and also follows the story that we're beginning to really tell tonight with the people going to Egypt where Jacob and his sons settle in Goshen, and that will set the stage for this study two weeks from tonight as we begin the study of Exodus. Let's go ahead and take a moment, and before we read together and study, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the rich blessings which we enjoy as a result of your Son, and we thank you, Father, for this good day that you blessed us with. We thank you now for this time to be together we pray your blessings on our, our many members who are not here, those who are traveling, those who are trying to get to different places to visit with their family during this time of year. Thankful, Father, for those that are visiting with us here in the parking lot or in the auditorium and, and those who are watching online. Bless our study of the book of Genesis tonight. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 43 is where we're going to start this evening, and let's just jump right into it. Uh, the brothers had gone back to Canaan. Uh, now they are going to return to Egypt to see Joseph, to see, uh, and this time they're going to go with Benjamin because that was the sticking point. Joseph said, Unless Benjamin comes, then there's no conversation to be had and we're done negotiating we're done talking about these particular things so uh, let's look at the first couple of verses here I want to read the first three verses here verses one through three now the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them go back buy us a little food who speaks up verse three is Judah Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Judah kind of takes on this role of being a leader. We've talked about how Judah is which child in succession, at least as, as best we know. He's not the first, not the second, but he's not the third. He's the, he's the fourth, right? So you have... Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah in that order in which they're listed. But Judah, we kind of hinted at, once you get through the ugliness of chapter 38 where he commits sin, 
uh, and then has this really kind of incredible attitude of I've done wrong and I'm sorry for doing wrong at the end of chapter 3a, he kind of takes on the role of being the leader uh, and he clearly does that here not only in taking a leadership role but in making a pledge which we read down in verse 8 and following. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. And then he says in verse 9 in the New King James Version, the word that is used is surety. The idea is pledge or guarantee. I myself will be surety for him from my hand you shall require him. This is a uh, kind of a different pledge than what we had read uh, with the brash pledge uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week, whenever that was. But again, we can see Judah kind of taking on this role of being uh, not only the physical leader of the 11 sons, but being also kind of a spiritual leader as well. Interestingly enough, one of the things that we've talked about throughout our study of Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Benjamin, Leah, and Rachel is favoritism. And we see where favoritism continues to still uh, pose itself as an issue. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release to release your other brother and Benjamin. Notice verse 14, other brother and Benjamin. Who's the other brother? Do you remember from last week? Simeon had been left back in Egypt. So release Simeon, the other brother, and also bring back Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So just kind of interesting how this concept of favoritism continues to still play a role uh, in all of the different affairs of Jacob um, and then of others involved in the story. All right, then as we progress through, we're picking out about uh, eight verses or so to really kind of just highlight eight to 12 verses here in chapter 43. Uh, let's go down to verse 16. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. So Joseph is relieved that not only is Benjamin alive, he's relieved that Benjamin has made the trip, that they have brought Benjamin just as he had requested or you could make the argument demanded. And he is relieved and rejoices over Benjamin's arrival on this occasion. How are the brothers feeling at this time? How, are, how is uh, Judah and Levi and Gad and those guys, how are they feeling over the next few verses? Yeah, they're, they're very much afraid. They're apprehensive. They're uncertain as to what this means. Is he going to bring us to dinner and are we going to be the main course? Uh, are we going to end up dead? Are we going to end up in prison? Uh, what are we going to tell our dad uh, when we get back? What if we never make it back? They're concerned about their dad. The, the text will say a little bit later in chapter 47 or 46. I can't remember which, which we'll get to it. Um, that they had to carry uh, Jacob 
with them to Egypt. So Jacob is, is very dependent on his family in order to provide for himself at this time because he is frail and he is old. Uh, so the brothers are afraid. Verses 18 through 22, it says that the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they are thinking it's all about the money. They're thinking that, remember, that when they had gone back, they had opened up their sacks of grain and they had found the money that they had brought to buy the grain from Egypt had been returned to them. So they are now panicking, saying, this is the reason this is all happening. This is all coming to fruition because of that. Verse 22, we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We did not know who put our money in our sacks, verse 22. So verse 23 he says, peace be with you, do not be afraid. Of all the things that Joseph could say, or that the steward, I'm sorry, in this case it's the steward, right? Of all the things that the steward could say, um, or that Joseph could say on one of these occasions, would be peace be with you. We're going to talk a lot about peace Sunday morning, Lord willing, in our study, uh, in our sermon. But he says, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. It is interesting that you have here, again, pagan individuals, the steward, it seems like other people that, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in our study, um, that Joseph's belief in God has rubbed off on them and has had an impact on them. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves because we usually save our, our applications toward the end, but this is a big application. When we stand with integrity for a belief in God, it has the potential to have an impact on others even when we don't know we're having that impact on others. And so you have pagan leaders or assistance to pagan leaders that are now at least recognizing God. Maybe they're not being obedient to him, but at least they're recognizing God. Um, and then one of my favorite verses is verse 26. Joseph came home. They brought him the present which was in their hand to the house. And what did they do in verse 26? They bowed down before him to the earth. Remember when back in chapter 37, there was those couple of dreams that Joseph had, and even his own dad seemed to kind of scoff at the notion of, shall I and your mother and your brothers bow down to you? It's now coming to fruition. So if you like circling things in your Bible, if you don't already have a footnote, verse 26, take verse 26, go back to Genesis 37 in the first dozen verses or so, and you'll see where there's a connection between what was prophesied in those dreams, predicted in those dreams, and the things that come to pass here in chapter 43. And then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, verse 29, his mother's son, and he said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there and he washed his face and came out, restrained himself, said, serve the bread. Verse 31. Uh, this will be the one of at least three occasions where Joseph has to 
say, give me a second to compose myself because he's so overwhelmed with emotion and with what's going on, the gravity of this particular thing. So Joseph here weeps. And then the last thing we'll point out, and then we'll open it up for comments here in chapter 43, is the brothers are absolutely, um, they are amazed in a good way. Uh, they took, and what are they amazed about? Not just about the food that they're getting, but what ends up happening at this big dinner party? Absolutely. They are seated according to their age. So you have the, the youngest here, then to the middle children, then to the oldest. And they all kind of... I, I talk about moments in biblical history that where you wish there was a video camera rolling. I wish that there was a camera watching their faces. Because they've got to be thinking, what just happened? <laughs> How did he do that? Um, but, it, but it happened... Uh, and the other thing is, verse 40, verse 34, what happens to Benjamin's plate? So they pile up the potatoes big time on his plate, right? Okay. So he gets five times the amount of anybody else. So Jacob favored Joseph. Now Joseph is doting on Benjamin. Um, and, and again, there's, there's some... I suppose um, understanding of that he is his only full brother, right? Whereas the other are, others are half brothers; they share the same mother, but not the they share the same mother. They, sh they all share the same father, but not the same mother, right? Okay. Anything else in chapter forty-three? I know we're going quickly here. Um, uh, was uh, Benjamin part of them who threw Joseph into the pit? Okay. So the question was: uh, Was Benjamin? one of the brothers who threw Joseph into the pit. Uh, I don't think the Bible explicitly says. However, it's always been, and, and we'll open this up for comment, it's always been my understanding that how old was Joseph when it, when it happened? He was 17. Uh, that Benjamin was, was younger. The way the text reads it, where we talk about uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Gad, Naphtali, all then I, I, I get kind of fuzzy as to who's next, right? There's a song probably for that. But uh, that Benjamin was, in my mind, considerably younger. That's just my mind. I cannot so quote a passage for that. So that may be a reason why Joseph may have had extra attention to Benjamin because if Benjamin did not participate in the throwing in the pit, selling off to the Ishmaelites kind of thing, it would certainly make sense for him to say thank you to the one child who did not harm me in some way. Other thoughts on that? Because I, the Bible does not explicitly say, and we don't have all the ages lined out here. That's just my thought on it, for what it's worth. Okay. Yes, uh, Brother Alex. And, and then uh, go ahead, and when we get, uh, as David comes to Alex... Um, we'll get into chapter 44 here. Yes, Brother Alex. Just a quick comment. I was thinking it was more because they both had the same mother. Like that, they were both like full brothers. Right. So I, think, I think it's probably that as well. So who knows? It could be a combination of those things as well. I, 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 I've always thought the first thing that comes to my mind is full-blooded brother. Uh, but Nathan does bring up a good point as to 
this could be yet another subtle dig at the brothers because Joseph is kind of creative in the way that he keeps the suspense going with these brothers in kind of punishing them by not, but not punishing them. Okay, thank you, Alex, for that. Okay, let's talk about uh, chapter 44. Again, there are certain stories that you hear when you are a child that stick with you. And this was one that uh, really stuck with me, the idea of this cup in the sack. And again, I wish, it was, I wish it was on tape. I wish we could see what it looked like when this happened. But let's run through 44 here. And we're going to pick out uh, about 12 verses to, to really kind of um, comment on. He commanded the steward of the house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Here we go again. Also, this time, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and of the grain money. Presumably, this may have been at the feast. And so it would be easy to steal one of these vessels from the feast and put it in your sack, and no one's ever going to notice or whatever. Um, as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away. They and their donkeys, when they had gone out of the city and were not very far off, Joseph said to the steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So I thought that was kind of interesting that that ends up happening there. There's more in those five verses to unpack. Uh, depending on the questions that you have and the answers that I can come up with. I'm studying that a little bit today. We'll get to that if we have time and if there are questions about that. But, um, so the, the servant, the steward overtakes them, verse 6, and says, Hey guys, what's up with this? And probably has reinforcements. And how do the brothers react? What is their response in short? Yeah, how in the world would you would we ever do something like that? We cannot. Um, uh, well, I skipped a couple of verses here. Um, why does my Lord say these words? Verse seven, and they are absolute and firm and resilient in their innocence. And Book of Genesis, and many ways, the Old Testament is a lot of rash statements hey whoever's guilty of it let that person be killed uh if if this doesn't happen or if this does happen let my sons be killed just left and right people saying things that you really kind of kind of need to stop and think before you speak which is another big application from genesis but um verse nine let it be according to your words he with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack he began verse 12 with who with the oldest right works his way to the eyes and again they're probably thinking how does he know this how does he know to do it this way um and there's a couple different theories on why he went that way, but I think a lot of it is just a suspense. Verse 12, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. How do the brothers react now? Yeah, they're very upset. They are distraught uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you would think that Benjamin, the youngest, would be the one that would 
maybe have learned from mistakes of the older ones and not been guilty of those kind of things. Two, it's Benjamin, the one that dad said, if we don't bring him back, bad things are going to happen and dad's going to die now. He's going to have a heart attack and fall over dead. Uh, so all these bad things are going to transpire. So they are despondent. And someone pointed out that they, the brothers, have now changed. And I thought that was kind of interesting. That they have matured to a point where rather than saying, eh, it's a brother that's not really a favorite of ours anyway. Something bad happens to him. We don't care. After all, they had that flippant attitude with Joseph. Why wouldn't they have that with Benjamin? Maybe they've matured. Maybe time has had a way of teaching them the importance of, you know what, human life is important and we don't want something bad happening to Benjamin and we don't want something bad happening to our father as well. Uh, who steps up as the leader? Without, without looking, we've, we have to guess it's going to be Judah. Judah, again, uh, calls himself, doesn't call himself, but Judah and his brothers are the ones who uh, speak. Judah said, verse 16, what shall we say to my Lord? So Judah shows himself again to be the leader. And then this is really interesting when you get to verse 19. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? Um, and we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. And then notice verse 20, his brother is dead. Who are they talking about there? Yeah, they're talking about Joseph. So here's Joseph sitting there. And sometimes I wonder, Joseph is frustrated. But sometimes Joseph, I wonder if he ever thinks, if only you knew. <laughs> they, they just told Joseph he's dead. <laughs> Joseph could have, you know, spoiled all the fun right there and said, wait a minute. No, I'm not. Because Joseph is, uh, at this point, it seems like he's talking through an interpreter um, and, you know, he looks very Egyptian, uh, probably in the way that he's dressed and the way that he acts. And time has passed, making it so that they don't recognize him. So then Judah, again, appeals as you get through the last uh, four or five verses of the chapter. He appeals for his father as well. Uh, and Judah says, where is it here? Verse 30, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it'll happen. When he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with the stars of the grave. For your servant became guarantee or surety or pledge for the lad to my father. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers, verse 33. Um, interestingly enough, where Judah um, here offers himself in placement for someone else, Judah is the first recorded person in the book of Genesis and therefore in the Bible to offer his life for someone else in the Bible. And we as good Bible students start putting pieces together and the wheels start turning and Jesus is a child of which tribe? Judah. There are some striking similarities between Judah's uh, good attitude here and the perfect attitude of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is far superior, but there is a little bit of a 
little bit of a hint of a precursor there, perhaps. All right, uh, we are 15 minutes to go, 16, 17 minutes to go here. Um, let's go ahead and get to chapter 45, and then we'll pause and take some time for some questions or comments. Joseph is revealed to his brothers. Joseph, verse 1, could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his, and what is the word that is used in verse 1? His brothers. Joseph cannot contain his emotions. He reveals himself. And note the changing in terminology. Rather than, rather than the sons of Israel or the sons of Jacob or the strangers or the, uh, the thieves or all the different words that could have been associated with these characters, now he says, these are my brothers. It, I understand that this is Moses recording it, but likely Moses recording it. But the fact that the, that the narrator chooses to now employ the word brothers seems to kind of hint at we're, we're making a transition here in the story. Um, verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now, presumably talking in their own tongue, in their own language, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Their jaws were on the floor, uh, and their knees were shaking and, and knocking together. And the suspense has now gone to a level of uh, unbeknownst to what they ever thought they would endure. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. I, I wonder how fast they came near. I wonder if they just... <laughs> Did Simeon shove Levi? You go first, kind of thing. I don't know. You just kind of wonder what that looked like. Um, so they came near. He said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. So nobody knew about the sale of Joseph except Joseph and the brothers. Uh, and so for Joseph to comment, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. The one you sold to Egypt will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he knows or, or, or that he really is the guy. That also probably is going to really up the angst for them because they're like, oh, he remembers. Of course he remembers. He didn't forget that, right? Um, and then verse 5, uh, so Joseph, I wanted to point out he's continuing to be this incredible character showing concern for his father and then God's providence highlighted. There are certain places, uh, the book of Esther, which we talked about a few weeks, well, a few months ago, is really big on providence. These three or four verses are probably some of the most uh, providential core verses. I want to read verses five, three, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. So there's two key words, and conveniently in English, they both start with S, for those who like alliteration. You sold me here, but God sent me. You sold me, God sent me. That's just powerful to me. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. So how many more years of famine are there to go? Still got five to go, because we talked about seven. Remember the cows eating each other last week? 
and there are still five yards. Sorry, <laughs> there's still five years. I can do math. Two minus seven is five. In which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So what's Joseph doing here? He's doing a couple of things, but what's, what's he doing in these three or four verses? Yeah, absolutely. Nathan says comfort. That's the key word. He is comforting his brothers. He's calming them down. They are up here when it comes to angst and panic. And he is saying, it's okay. You meant it for ill. The Lord meant it for good. There's a broader, bigger purpose, a bigger picture that you can't see. And I'm not even sure that Joseph completely understood everything that was happening here. I don't know what all he knows. Uh, we know that as you get to the end of Genesis and then you get to the beginning of Exodus, there has to be an understanding of these things because it's elementary to why they go to Egypt. Incidentally, this is not the first Egyptian experience in uh, the book of Genesis. And it won't be the last Egyptian experience wherein uh, people or persons or babies go or little children go to Egypt to escape or to be preserved for a period of time. In some ways, Egypt is in many ways an incubator for God's people where they wait for something to happen. They wait for a king to die. They wait for a king to be born, whatever the case may be. I thought that was kind of uh, just interesting. So God's providence is key here in verses 5 through 8. Verse 12 of chapter 45. Behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. Again, he talks about his brother, um, specifically singling out um, Benjamin, but he's talking without an interpreter here, it seems like. And then Pharaoh gets news of this. Word spreads to Pharaoh. And how does Pharaoh re react to this reunion that's happened? He's, he's excited. He says, this is wonderful. Look at verse 16. The report of it was heard to Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants once. So I put up there in parentheses that maybe this is part of the character of Joseph again rubbing off on Pharaoh. Evil company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians says. So that would tell us that good company, non-evil company, helps uh, to build others up. So just as there is a disadvantage in being around people of poor company or poor morals by being around people that are good and wholesome and that build you up. That's what happens is you get more wholesome and you get built up. And that was, seems to be the case here. Then one of my favorite things that I'd never noticed before, uh, I, I've taught Genesis, this is, I guess, at least the third time in the last um, 10 years. But look in verse 21. Verse 21, is that what I wanted to look at? Yep, read 21 here. Sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey, and he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, 
But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. <laughs> so, again, <laughs> you're looking, what's this coming from? But now, now they're, ah, oh, now they're like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. But I thought it was interesting, he gives them clothes. The whole thing in chapter 37 started with a piece of clothing and favoritism. And now it's coming full circle with changes of clothing and a little bit of favoritism still on the part of Benjamin. But I'm, if, if you're Judah or Levi or Simeon, you're just glad to be alive at this point. You're just glad that everything is going well and that dad is going to be elated when he hears this. Except, dot, 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 we'll get to that here in just a second. Okay. Oh, actually, in the second has arrived because I couldn't remember what verse it was, but the verse 24. He sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. I believe the English Standard Version and maybe the New American Standard uses the word, oh, I put it there, uses the word quarrel. Do not quarrel along the way. What might there be to quarrel about along the way? This is, this is where you guess what I'm thinking. Yeah, this was, a, this was not a good idea. What we did back in 37, 38, or 30, what we did back in 37, 39 was not a good idea. The chickens have come home to roost. We are in trouble. We've got great news. Dad, <laughs> he's still alive. Your favorite's still alive. But Jacob is not, he may be old, but he's not dumb. Like, well, what about the coat? What about the blood? Where was that from? Somewhere, someone's going to have to fess up and tell the truth. Uh, and so it seems to me that when Joseph says, don't quarrel along the way, he's saying, don't get caught up in, you know, he says, that's going to be a difficult conversation to have. But um, look at the bright side. You're not dead. And dad's, dad's going to be okay as well. All right. Okay. So let's, uh, any, any comments here? Uh, we've got about eight minutes before we get into the last chapter and do a couple of quick applications. Okay. Uh, chapter 46 uh, finds us God's last direct recorded communication with man until Moses. So I'm not about to suggest that God did not speak to to. Joseph or Jacob on occasions 47, 48, 49, 50. Maybe he did. But the last time that it's recorded, so the next time God says, blank, listen to me, who's he talking to? Oh, I put it up there. Moses, right? And the famous burning bush, right? So that's where God will come in after a long period of silence and uh, address Moses. Um, why did I put that up there? Okay, I know why. Uh, ignore the the parentheses. Ignore ignore the parentheses part here. But Jacob still holds the importance of worshiping God. Forget where it says favor. That should be deleted. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Look if you would at verses one through four. Israel took his journey with in hand and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God, the father of Isaac. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here I am. He said, I am the God. 
of your father do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. Um, back in verse 28, we saw uh, where Israel had said, it is enough, Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So we skipped over that. That all happened. Verse 4, I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Um, so Jacob still believes in the importance of worshiping God. Uh, God's words of comfort there in verse 4. Oh, I, I didn't know what that meant, and, I, and I, I still may not know exactly what it means in verse 4. But it says, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. But I came across a note earlier today that I thought that makes sense. But anybody, I'll tell you what I found, is that in, in ancient Hebrew culture, and actually in some modern Jewish cultures, it is the job or the honor of the closest descendant, typically your, your child, to when you have died to close your eyes. And I thought, well, that's, I mean, as, as sad as that is, it's also very honoring that you get to be there to close the eyes of, of your deceased father or mother, whatever the case may be. Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Maybe that's what that means. Maybe it's just that Joseph is going to be there to touch you and, and be with you, whatever the case may be. But there is going to be this great reunion. The next 20 verses or so is a lot of uh, genealogy. And it's a listing of the people who go into Egypt that will number a total of 70 in verse 27, where you have the addition of 33, 16, um, 7, and you have the 66 and the 7. So you have a total of 70 persons in verse 27. Um, it is true that when Stephen makes reference to this, he uses a different number. Uh, and most people conclude that he's using a, he's referencing particularly the Septuagint version, which has a different number. It's interesting, forget about all that for just a minute, and just that we're starting with a very small number of people. And by the time Exodus 1 and 2 rolled around, estimates are millions of Hebrews. Uh, over the course of that many hundreds of years period. Kind of interesting to think how much they go to. Let's drop down to verse 28. We'll spend the last four minutes in the last six or seven verses here. But where do they settle? Where does Pharaoh put them in Egypt? Puts them in the land of Goshen. Puts them in the land of Goshen. They settle in Goshen where there's going to be ample opportunity for them to be um, uh, in a shepherding community. A couple of things about that verse 28. The men sent Judah before him and Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen and they came to the land of Goshen. So again, Judah, uh, kind of the leader here of the family. Uh, Israel said to Joseph, verse 30, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Um, someone's Pointed out another way of putting that in modern English would be that it's not where Jacob is saying, Oh, good, now I get to die. It's where Jacob is saying, Now I can die in peace. I've seen my son. Again, that may be a better way of understanding that, at least in modern English. 
and then the family would be separate in Goshen. Not only for the purpose of shepherding, because the very last statement that is made, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Um, I was looking at that as well. There seems to be some historical evidence, not just an extra biblical evidence, that the Egyptians really, it's not that they, they had to have shepherds because there has to have sheep in every culture um, if you're going to have wool uh, and, and things like that. But they really look down on shepherds as being kind of a menial task or being the lower class of society. But the other thing is God is separating out his people, allowing them to continue to presumably worship and study and do the things that they should be doing in an era and in a time where they could get mixed up with the Egyptians and that get very muddied. Um, maybe this was one way of God separating them to get them to focus on those kinds of things. But the key word is separate there. Okay, uh, four quick observations or lessons that I came up with, and then we'll take yours as well. Number one, like Judah, we can leave our pasts in the past, and focus should be said should be and focus on leading for good purposes in the present and future. Remember Judah in chapter thirty-eight; things didn't look very good for him. But once you get to chapters 42, 43, 44, 45, and forty-six. Judah, and then chapter 48, 49, we'll read next week. Judah is kind of really redeemed himself. Uh, and of course, we have something to say about God's grace in that as well, right? Number two, God can and will make his plans come to fruition always. So he can do it. Even though Joseph got sold into slavery, God says, I can work with that. I can make that happen. I can make good things happen. Uh, remember Queen... Um, Esther, when she was talking about maybe I have been put on the throne for this time, for this very time. Um, we talked about that in our study of Esther. Number three, seeking God's counsel is always important like Jacob did. So remember at the we skipped over these verses in the tail end of chapter 45. The brothers say, Dad, we're going to take you to Egypt. There's grain there. Your son is there. That's where we're going to live and we're going to be protected there. And live in this separate environment and things are going to be great, better than we've had in a long, long time. And Jacob, in the very next verse, verse 1 says, Lord, what do you want me to do? So there's great value in saying, God, what do you want from me? And then fourthly, being separate from the world and holy to the Lord is always wise. Even if that wasn't the explicit purpose of what was going on in Goshen, you can still get from this and from what we've studied in the previous 45 chapters, that doing what God wants, being separate from the world, whether it be with intermarriage of pagan cultures or where you live or where you reside, is always a good thing to make sure that you um, remain holy and sacred and focused on the Lord. Other things in our final two minutes we've got left. About two minutes. Yes, David. I was just going to say that... Um, yeah, you're good now. Uh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those that love God. So it's easy for us to look at this story of Joseph and his brothers, or perhaps even our own lives, 
in hindsight and see the providence of God. The difficult part is looking at our lives right now, no matter how difficult it may be, and simply accepting the fact Mm -hmm. that it will work together for good. doesn't mean that it's going to be good all the time, but that it works together for good. Absolutely. Romans 8.28 is a great passage. It's a, uh, Romans 8 is a great, is a really powerful passage. Um, but Romans 8.28 is perfect for that. So thank you for that. Anything else in the final 10 seconds? The buzzer's already been buzzed, but we'll give you 10 bonus seconds. All right. Next week, 47 through 50. Uh, if you read through those, or at, least, at the very least, scan through them. And we'll pick up from there. Thank you all.